The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Jay Gruden coming up on the show. He's with us every Friday during football season. Ryan O'Halloran, who covers the Bills for the Buffalo News, he covered the Skins for a few years in the late 2000s. He will be our guest in the final segment of the show, and then I'll follow up uh, that interview with my smell test to end the show. Before that, uh, keys to beating Buffalo, a prediction on the game very shortly, um, and we'll talk uh, some other NFL college football in the game last night. Uh, as well. The show is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, you'll get a free estimate so you've got nothing to lose. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Let me begin the show with my prediction on the game. And I'm doing that because I am predicting Washington beats Buffalo on Sunday. 24 to 17. I just have a really strong feeling about this game, and I have kind of leaned into that all week long. I think a lot has to do with, you know, what they did offensively during that 32 to 3 run in Denver. To know that they're capable of that, uh, to know that Eric Bieniemy really, really outcoached and had Vance Joseph on his heels on Sunday. Uh, to becoming more increasingly increasingly confident that Sam Howell really does have some legitimate NFL talent and can play the position a little bit. It's too early to sort of declare anything. But I think it's the offense from Sunday in Denver that gives me this feeling that they can not only compete in this game, but they can win it. And then to also consider that Buffalo against good defensive teams on the road, you know, they haven't lost a lot of games in the last four years. They have not. Um, But this is the kind of game I could see them losing. They lost to the Jets in the opener against Zach Wilson. Uh, They turned it over a bunch. They got the win last week against the Raiders, so they're not feeling as desperate, although they do have games coming up against Miami and Jacksonville, so there's some pressure for them to win this game. There's a lot of pressure on Buffalo in general this year. There is a sense that the window is closing on their Super Bowl chances, Uh, so they do need 
to make it happen, you know, sooner rather than later. But I think we are going to learn a lot about Washington this week. And let's face it, if they go in to FedEx Field Sunday and they come out with a win against Buffalo, uh, this will be a statement that the rest of the league will take notice of next week. Uh, You know, no doubt. If they end up beating Buffalo on Sunday, um, the rest of the league is, is going to discuss Washington next week as a legitimate, legitimate NFC playoff contender. Not a championship contender. That conversation will remain focused on teams like San Francisco and Dallas and Philadelphia. But in terms of next in line after those teams, Washington will enter that group. And by the way, that group might be just them. But at 3-0 and with a win over Buffalo, and Buffalo is a different team than Arizona and Denver, uh, there's going to be a lot of people taking notice for sure. You know, I, I talked about this on the radio show this morning, and I didn't realize this until last night. I don't know why I didn't put this together earlier. But last week, remember, they played Denver. They played Denver, a team that they had beaten in a Super Bowl. Sunday, they play Buffalo, a team they beat in the Super Bowl. And stay tuned at the very end of the show for the final call of Super Bowl Twenty Six, And you'll hear Jack Kent Cook presented uh, with uh, the Lombardi Trophy by then-Commissioner Paul Tagliabu. I'll, t- I'll t- take you out of the show today with that uh, sound from now, you know, 32 seasons ago. But they also play this year Miami, the team that they beat for the third Lombardi Trophy. It was actually their first Lombardi Trophy, but they play all three teams that they beat in the Super Bowl this year. It's the only time it's ever happened. So last week, they got Denver. This week, maybe Buffalo. And then later in the year, maybe Miami. Although the Dolphins look really good. But this is a chance to get to 3-0 for the first time in 18 seasons. The chance to make a big-time early season statement. Uh, it's a long season, I understand. So even if they win on Sunday, as I've said before, they're going to go ahead and play the rest of them anyway. They're going to play the rest of the 14 anyway. But, man, it's been a long time since they've had this kind of opportunity early in the season. I think you have to kind of go back to 2017 when they lost the opener but then beat the Rams on the road, and we didn't even know that the Rams would be good that year. That was Sean McVay's first playoff team in L.A. And then they came home for a Sunday night game against the Raiders. And that was a pretty hyped-up Sunday night game, and they destroyed the Raiders on Sunday night football to get to 2-1 and one on the year. Uh, and then they had a big game the following week on Monday night football against the Chiefs. But... It's been a while since early in the season there's been kind of a a game with some stakes. Look, the last four years, 0-5 in 2019, 1-5 in 2020, 2-6 in 2021, 1-4 last year. You know, there have been some late season runs. Yeah, there have been. But, you know, by the time we've gotten to them, there was too much damage you know, already done. Uh, And I think this opportunity here 
is a little bit different. Like in 2018, when they started out 5-2 and two with Alex Smith at quarterback, you know, there was some excitement. I'm not going to, you know, say that there wasn't legitimate excitement about being 5-2 and two before Alex Smith got hurt in that Houston game. But it was a house of cards. Like, it was a bit fraudulent. You know, watching that team, they were hitting the inside straight every week. They weren't turning it over. They weren't committing penalties. They were running the football and dominating time of possession. They were beating some so-so teams. You know, they beat Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers was banged up and hurt. Um, But the teams that they faced that were pretty good, they got blown out by New Orleans. They got blown out by Atlanta. They won a game at Tampa in which they gave up 500 yards. Like, it wasn't real. I think this feels different. I think that we know they have better players than they've had in a long, long time. That the roster is probably the best roster they've had since, you know, at the very least 2005, if not before that. Quarterback and O-line were the big question marks coming in. Linebacker to a certain extent as well. But they've got good players on this team on both sides of the ball. And I think that that has lent itself to, for at least me, thinking, you know, we may be in the process of figuring out here over the next two games that this team has some big upside potential. And again, let me be clear on that. I'm talking about, you know, they would be, a, if, if they win Sunday, if they win one of these next two, or if they play well and lose the next two, I think we're going to learn a lot more and we're going to consider them to be a playoff contender. Remember, there are seven teams that go to the playoffs. Um, but, you know, there's excitement over this team. And man, if they win Sunday, this thing goes nuclear. The energy level for this team, it goes big time. I mean, this is a second straight sellout. There will be Buffalo fans in the crowd, no doubt. Um, I think I mentioned yesterday, if I didn't mention this yesterday, uh, the TV ratings haven't been great, actually. You know, another reflection of sort of the buzz uh, week one was, uh, and thank you, Eric Fingerhut, and thank you, John or- John Oran, for sending me uh, those numbers. Um, but uh, week one was like a 14.3. That was like the bottom 10 local TV ratings. But they bounced up against Denver and did a 17.8 local rating, um, which only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 markets were... Uh, they were better than 12 markets with that 17.8 against the Broncos. Now, to give you an idea, like the number one market local television rating for last week was Buffalo doing a 41.3 in their game against the Raiders. Kansas City in their game against the Jags did a 40.2 rating. New Orleans did a 38-plus rating for their game against the uh, against the Panthers on Monday night. Um So you're a long way away from where it used to be, but 17.8 is a lot better than a lot of the recent numbers in recent years. You know, there's a buzz. You know, there's a buzz over the old owner being gone, the new owner being in, and there's some real buzz about a young quarterback that shows promise. And being coached by an offensive coordinator who, through two games, is making – 
a lot of the league look a little bit silly for passing on him. Again, I understand. Two games, and I have been the one warning everybody. You know, this or these early season games, you can't come out of it thinking anything for sure. You know, declaring anything after the season opener is crazy. Declaring anything after the first few weeks is nuts. But they've got good players. We talked about that last year. We talked about that during the offseason. And if the quarterback and the offensive coordinator are capable of doing what they did Sunday in Denver, um, yeah, we'll see. I like Washington, 24-17. to 17. The Bills are pretty good, you know. They 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 they've got uh they got a lot of talent, but I just kind of feel like this is one of those games that we've seen Buffalo play, you know, tight in. And when I say tight, not nervous tight, but they've made mistakes. You know, they almost lost that opener. You know, in New York against Zach Wilson. Well, not, they didn't almost lose the, the opener. They did lose the opener. What am I what am I talking about? They lost that opener twenty two to sixteen in overtime. Um. All right, uh, let me get to my keys to a win over Buffalo. Uh, Washington beats Buffalo if. I'm going to start with something that I may be saying now every week. I want them to be aggressive offensively. I have no problem with the heavy pass over run approach. Um, whatever they do that results in moving the football and scoring points, I want them to do, and I think this is the best way for them to do that. Uh, you also have a team in Buffalo that is pretty good against the run. Last week they held Josh Jacobs to minus two yards on nine carries. Jacobs is one of the best backs in the league. But I want to see quick game, what we saw last week, a lot of quick game, a lot of you know uh, rollout, comeback patterns, sideline throws for six to seven yards to like we saw to De'Ami Brown a couple times. The screen game would be nice, although I think Buffalo is a faster, smarter team. In fact, the first turnover of the game last week was a Jimmy Garoppolo screen that got deflected and picked off. I want to see the same approach. I want to see Eric Bieniemy getting the ball to his best players on offense. Um, the way they did it last week, not necessarily the way they did it against Arizona, um, but I think that their approach is going to remain consistent. There may be a team that they think, hey, we can be more balanced because we can really run the football against them. I don't know that it's Buffalo. I want them to be aggressive. I want him to get into rhythm. I want him protected, and that's number two. Washington beats Buffalo if they're heavy passover run staying aggressive but they're doing it in a way that keeps Sam Howell protected which means you are avoiding some of those bad near catastrophic plays on offense because buffalo is not arizona or denver they are capable of making you look bad on offense and I think Eric Bieniemy did a phenomenal job. We talked a lot about that earlier in the week. Uh, a phenomenal job protecting Sam Howell after an opener in which he was sacked six times, and they turned the ball over a bunch of times in that opener. You know, it was the play calling. It was Sam protecting himself better by getting the ball out quicker. The O-line, you know, was okay at times. But still, in that Denver game, they were still pretty close to having a couple of major 
bad plays. You know, there was that deflected ball in the first half that Denver had right in in the uh, and I forget who the defender was. Now he had it in his hands, couldn't hold on to it for the interception. There were some sacks that Sam took last week where they were blindside hits, where he did a great job of holding on to the ball. And then on one particular play, he you know probably could have stepped up in the pocket and protected the ball, but had it knocked out. But Washington recovered that fumble. So zero turnovers last week, but a couple of close call plays. But I think for the most part, Eric Bieniemy did a good job of protecting Sam, and Sam did a good job of protecting Sam as well. But Buffalo can really make you pay. Rousseau, Milano, Ed Oliver. I mean, they've got players, and I think they're coming after Sam. I really do. Um, I, they don't have to. They can get home with four, but I think the way right now, if, you, if you've watched Washington, is to get some pressure, make him get it out quickly, uh, which he did a good job of last week, get hands up, give him you know, a real difficult you know, uh, view of receivers. Uh, but number one is I want to see the pass-heavy, aggressive approach, but I want to see it the way I saw it last week. Number two, if I see it last week, then they're going to do – what I think is super important against Buffalo, which is protect the football and avoid the bad plays. Number three, Washington beats the Buffalo Bills. If they stop the run, you know, it's the one small concern I have about the defense through two weeks. James Conner in week one, Javante Williams last week. They're giving up four and a half yards per carry in two games. I know that you don't hang your hat on two games' worth of stats. If you do, you're crazy. They'll change dramatically over the next two, three weeks. You need five or six games before you start looking at some of, you know, whether it's team traditional or team advanced numbers. But I'm just pointing out the four and a half yards per carry that they're allowing is 25th in the league through two weeks. And it's on the edges, or it was last week, um, some of their contain has been an issue. You heard Cooley talk about that on the film breakdown, and if you missed that again, that was Wednesday's show. It was great. Uh, they've had some tackling issues here and there, but really in Denver there were some easy runs, including you know Russell Wilson on a keeper on a zone read. You've got to be disciplined against James Cook, Dalvin's younger brother, their primary running back. He replaces Devin Singletary this, uh, this year. Uh, Cook is... Not James Conner or Javante Williams in that he is a slighter back, smaller. He's 30 to 40 pounds lighter than both of them, but he's quick. He's decisive. He's got good vision. Um, They ran the ball more last week, and they ran it under center more than they typically do. You know, Josh Allen is pretty much a shotgun quarterback, and the Bills have been shotgun pretty much exclusively. But you, I went back and watched the game, and you could see – there were more under center plays. It, it actually looked odd to see it with Josh Allen under center. Um, and they they used James Cook, who went over 100 yards last week um, in, their, uh, in their win over the Raiders. They used it to, to, to bootleg Josh Allen, to set up some play action for jo- Josh Allen. James Cook averaged 7.2 yards per carry in the game against the Raiders. So... I'm a little bit concerned. I'm not alarmed at the runs against them in the first two games. I mean, they have a front four that's awesome. 
Um, but their backers, you know, are, can be a little bit out of place. Their DNs can occasionally be out of place. I mean, Cooley talked about the first touchdown run where uh, where where Chase was kind of sucked inside um, and didn't play contain. So stopping the run is important. Uh, cliche number four beating Buffalo if they don't turn the ball over, but really more than that, I think they got to be plus in this game. They were plus two in Denver and one by two points. They were minus one against a bad team in Arizona and hung on to win that game. I think this is clearly the best team they are facing this year, and I think a plus two in the turnover margin may be necessary. But I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that they will get the opportunity with Josh Allen at quarterback with their defense to put Josh Allen into position where he forces things and he gives them chances. He typically does. You got to catch him if he throws them. But I think a plus on the turnover margin, maybe as much of uh, as, as much as plus two, is going to be really important in this game for them to win. But I think it can happen. And then lastly, I think I mentioned this on my radio show. We do a segment um, where uh, we give kind of bold predictions. It's called Don't Be Surprised If. And I said, don't be surprised if Jamison Crowder has a big day. He is Statistically, he's done nothing in the first two games. But I think he is confident, and I think he's looking to make a big play. It's kind of... You know, for Jamison Crowder at this point in his career, you know, he's he's got this opportunity with Washington. He's only a punt returner. I know he'd like to play receiver. We had him on the radio show last week. But I think he's going to try to make things happen in the return game. And by the way, Dax Milne comes off injured reserve or potentially comes off injured reserve after week four. Uh, you know, they had a punt return against them in overtime to lose the game. The Bills did in that Monday night opener against... Uh, the Jets, I think special teams will be big in this game, and I think Crowder has a chance to have a decent game. Now, the other part of special teams being huge is you can't miss two field goals and expect to beat Buffalo. They missed two field goals last week, and they hung on. They won 35-33. There was a Hail Mary at the end, understood. Um but we need to make sure that Cheeseman doesn't roll one back in a big spot. That could really be decisive in a game like this. So those are the things that I've thought about. You know, I really want to continue to see what they can be offensively by being aggressive, but being aggressive in a way that's also protective of Sam. Uh, you know, I, I got to see a better effort against the run defensively. I'm so bullish, so optimistic about this defense. I'm so encouraged about Chase Young's first game. Uh, Deron Payne's been a little bit hobbled this week. They need him, and hopefully he'll be healthy. Uh, but I don't want to see some of these gashing runs that we saw, especially last week in the first three drives. I mean, if they come out and James Cook's, you know, four and a half, five yards per carry. Now Josh Allen isn't facing a pass rush that is just playing pass. Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis and their their rookie tight end, by the way. You know, remember Washington in this last draft, we went through the tight ends that were possibilities. And one of them in the first round was Dalton Kincaid from Utah. 
Well, Buffalo took him at number 25 in the first round, and he has looked really good. He's got nine receptions in the first two games for 69 yards, uh, two or three of them for first downs. Um, Josh Allen has a new favorite tight end target uh, to go with Steph Diggs and Gabe Gabe Davis and company. But we know Buffalo, they're capable of being really explosive. They were explosive in in the run game last week against the Raiders without Josh Allen being a factor in the run game. And so stopping the run... Uh, I think it's going to be a big deal, you know, plus two in the turnover margin, special teams, keep away from the gaffes, and maybe get a big return from Crowder this week. And, uh, you know, offensively, I can't wait to see them against this Buffalo defense. I think they're going to face an aggressive defense, a smart defense, a defense that will really try to fool uh, Sam Howell, um, but a defense that can just flat out line up and make plays. Now, they've had some injuries uh, with Floyd and with Micah Hyde, um, but we'll talk to Ryan O'Halloran a little bit later on in the show to find out if he thinks they will play. Micah Hyde's just one of those players that's always been a playmaker, you know, wherever he has been, and he just anticipates well and pressure and maybe fooling Sam a little bit, and a guy like Hyde ends up with a pick or two in the game. Uh, I like Washington, 24-17. There you go. How about that? Um, All right, a couple of other things, and then we'll get to uh, Jay. Uh, The game last night between the 49ers and the Giants, is there a player in the league that is more physical as a runner after the catch than Debo Samuel. I just, every time I watch him, I am just amazed even more. He is one of the most relentless, physical, strong, competitive, offensive players with the ball in his hand, hands at any possession, at any position, excuse me. He is, I mean, you can't tackle the dude. It takes four to five guys to get him to the ground. And then on top of that, George Kittle. I mean, the, he, you can't tackle him either. Uh, the 49ers won the game 30-12. to 12. It's their third straight 30-point game. They opened with a 30-7 to 7 win in Pittsburgh. Last week, 30-23 to 23 over the Rams. And last night, 30-12 to 12 over the Giants to get to 3-0. and 0. The Giants did not have Barkley. They didn't have Andrew Thomas. I mean, you could say two of the three or four best players on the team they didn't have. They could not get off the field on third down. Some of it was unlucky, to be honest with you. I thought the Giants actually, on a short week where they were in big trouble against Arizona after getting blown out by Dallas, I didn't expect them to win the game. Um, But I thought they actually competed pretty hard. And if you were a Giant fan, you're upset that they couldn't get off the field on third down. You're upset that they couldn't convert on third down. Uh, but it was a 17 to 12 game late in the third quarter, 20 to 12 going into the fourth quarter. I never felt watching it that the Giants could win the game, but um, you know they come off you know this kind of mini buy with a Monday night game, so they get a, a long buy here. You know it's not the bye week, but they get the mini buy, and then they don't have to play uh, next Sunday. They play next Monday night against the Seahawks before a stretch. I mean, the Seahawks are tough enough. Seahawks, Dolphins, Bills, and then Washington 
are the next four for the Giants. How about this game in two weeks? The 49ers and the Cowboys, October 8th in in San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. Likely to be two 4-0 teams at that point. And speaking of the Cowboys, Trayvon Diggs goes down. That hurts for sure. Torn ACL. Um, They've got some depth at that position. Would have been much worse for them had they lost Micah Parsons, clearly. Um, But Trayvon Diggs has 18 interceptions since entering the league in 2020. uh, I think more than anybody, or maybe there's somebody else that has exactly the same. I think it's J.C. Jackson might have the same number as Diggs. But with that pass rush, I mean, Diggs is one of those playmakers on the back end, and that's a big, big loss for the Cowboys. Uh, Other NFL news real quickly. Uh, Anthony Richardson's out against Baltimore. He has had a pretty good start to the season so far, uh, but he was concussed last week. And Bryce Young's out one to two weeks in Carolina, which means Andy Dalton is going to get the start. And it is starting to look more and more like Joe Burrow is not going to go on Monday night against the Rams. They added a third quarterback uh, today, somebody I've never heard of, to be honest with you. Um, Tomorrow may be the best college football day of the year. Uh, Clemson, Florida State at noon. We'll have this big storm going on here in the D.C. area. If you live here, you know what you're what I'm talking about. We had Doug Cameron on the radio show today. This is a nor'easter and a big-time nor'easter. Heavy rain, lots of wind. Perfect day to stay inside and watch a full day of big-time college football. Starts at noon with the big one, Florida State Clemson. 3.30 window, Colorado, Oregon. That'll be the most watched game tomorrow. Uh, Ole Miss, Alabama, UCLA, Utah. Uh, And then Saturday night, man, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Iowa, Penn State. They both kick at the same time. You also have maybe the most underrated big game of the week, Oregon State and Washington State, the two Pac-12 schools that are being left by everybody else, uh, match up um, uh, in Pullman uh, with Oregon State, a three-point favorite as the 14th-ranked team in the country against undefeated and 21st-ranked Washington State. But what a great day of college football. Maryland's got Michigan State. Beware, Terps fans. I just think that Michigan State got beaten and embarrassed last week. Uh, Mel Tucker now out. Obviously, that program in turmoil, but there's something about East Lansing. Uh, you know, Washington beat them badly in East Lansing last week. But Maryland, as much as I'm hopeful, I haven't seen what I've seen the last two years early in the year before they've you know matched up against somebody good. I'm a little bit worried about the game tomorrow. Um, I almost gave them out. Uh, Michigan State out in the smell test. Uh, I just told you that I didn't give out Michigan State in the smell test. But I do have eight college games that are going. Uh, But a great uh, college Saturday. And then the NFL Sunday is not bad either. You know, uh, our game, obviously, in the 1 o'clock window is a big game. Uh, But you've got some other big games um, here in Week 3. Falcons-Lions. What if the Falcons going to Detroit win that game to get to 3-0? And the Lions, after beating the Chiefs, are 1-2 with two home losses. You know, that's an interesting game. The Saints at the Packers, two teams that, you know, I think probably have some aspirations of – of, of being a playoff team, you know, winning their divisions, which are not super strong, or being wild a, a wild card team. Chargers, Vikings, in some ways, with both teams being 0-2, this is a game that, you know, 
keeps the season alive with a win, and maybe you start to think trade deadline moves with a loss. Although, again, 0-3 with a 17-game schedule and seven teams in each conference uh, you know, qualifying for the playoffs is different than what it used to be. Um, and then the late afternoon window on Sunday – I mean, there's nothing. Panthers, Seahawks, Bears, Chiefs, Cowboys, Cardinals, Steelers, Raiders Sunday night. The Monday night doubleheader is interesting with Eagles, Bucks early. And then the Rams maybe against a Bengals team that will not have Joe Burrow at quarterback. Uh, Today, by the way, for Washington out at practice, um, the injury report now official going into Sunday. Logan Thomas is out Cam Curl with uh, just came down with a sickness, and Curtis Samuel with an injured hip um, are questionable. Everybody else is a full go. Gates, Quan Martin, Deron Payne, and Brian Robinson Jr. all a full go for Sunday. They were a full participant in practice. Buffalo had everybody that had been limited at full participation. Uh, today. Uh, James Cook, by the way, their running back, did not practice yesterday because he had his first child. Um, Tredavious Wright, uh, Tredavious, Tredavious White, excuse me, um, took, uh, you know, a, a veteran practice day. I think he will go on Sunday. We'll ask Ryan O'Halloran about him. Um, anyway, uh, we're ready to roll on Sunday. Uh, we got a big one and I'll be here Monday to talk all about it. What does Jay Gruden think about the win over Denver, about the matchup against Buffalo, and about uh, the NFL card this weekend? We'll get him to give us his lock of the week. Uh, It did not win last week for Jay. He had the Giants covering, and they did not. Uh, We'll get to Jay right after I tell you about Window Nation. Window Nation is offering a great deal right now, guys. If you've been thinking about new windows, just call Window Nation first, 866-90-NATION, or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, so you've got nothing to lose. If you and your wife or you and your significant other or you and your roommates have been thinking about new windows in your home, I promise you, you won't go wrong if you give Window Nation the first shot. First of all, they're giving you a great deal right now. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Everybody's charging outrageous interest rates for everything now. All right, And they're charging you 0% interest for two years. Plus, you'll get up to 50% off all style windows. Bow, bay, double hung, any style. So while, while you're not paying anything for two years, and by the time you start paying in 2025, you'll pay half price, you're saving big time on your energy bills. New windows, especially if you have older windows, will save you up to 30% on your air conditioning and heating bills. So two years of windows without paying anything, but getting the benefit of much lower air conditioning and heating bills, and by the way, making your home look much better and increasing the value of your home. I've been working with Window Nation for 14 years. 14 years I've been endorsing Window Nation's product. I've got trust in them. You can as well. I promise you it will work out for you. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name, free estimate. They're going to take good care of you. No money down, no payments, no interest for two full years, and you'll pay 50% 
on your windows when you start paying. Windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. Jay Gruden next after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jay Gruden coming up in this segment. Uh, But before we get to Jay, football season, it's here. We're in the thick of it now. If you're looking for a spot to watch your favorite teams battle it out, Head to Due South Dockside in Navy Yard, right on the Capitol Riverfront Boardwalk. They've got a stocked bar, draft beer, a menu full of Due South house-smoked barbecue favorites. Their waterside location is the perfect place to gather all season long or to host your next event. So come on down and do the queue at Due South. Menus and more at DueSouthDC.com. Guys, this is excellent barbecue DueSouthDC.com. Jay Gruden is our guest every Friday during football season, and he joins us right now. We'll preview the Buffalo game coming up and get Jay's thoughts on that. But let's go back to Denver first and Washington's impressive 35-33 win over Denver. What did you think? Yes, very impressive. And I think it all started with the field goal at the end of the half. I know it sounds crazy, but that was a great drive and a two-minute drill to get to a seven-point game. Then they come out the first drive of the third quarter, and Payne gets a sack, a tackle for loss, and a batted ball. And then Washington goes down and ties it. Sometimes the end of the second quarter and the start of the third quarter are defining moments for your football team, and they took advantage and had a great end of the quarter and start of the third quarter. That's interesting that you focused on that. I mean, I, I, I was super thrilled that they got the ball back after they scored the touchdown, got the two-point conversion, and got the three, and all of a sudden you're looking at it and it's like we were getting blown out and it's now seven at the half. But I've been talking about it all week. It's one of those games in which I, I believe as a fan – Rarely does one play make the difference or change a game completely, but the Jamin Davis forced fumble 
completely flipped the game. It was about to become 24 to 3 or maybe 28 to 3 and that's nearly game over at that point. Yes, that was a odd fumble by Russell. I mean, I, I still watched that replay five times and it's like he didn't know he fumbled. It was weird. He just kind of sat up and looked around at the crowd and next thing another red uh, <laughs> commanders have the ball. But right. That was a unique play, but that was a huge play. That, that definitely turnovers like that do change the momentum and the and, and of your football team, you can just tell guys when they're coming off the sideline a little more jump in their step. You know what I mean? Instead of coming out there like, oh, here we go again. Uh, but yeah, there are some there are some really events in that game that really turned the momentum. That Jamin Davis play was one, and then the, obviously the fourth and four catch by Logan Thomas was another one. I think the fuel at the end of the half. So when they run in at halftime, it's a hell of a lot better feeling being down seven than being down twenty four or three. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so. Cooley was on with me the other day, and he, he was talking about Sean Payton in Denver early that, you know, they scored three touchdowns on three drives. And he said Joe Gibbs used to say, we've got them shuffling their papers. And he always found that funny. And Gibbs would say, we got them, you know, guessing right now on defense. We got them looking at their notes and their, and, and their papers. And you were an offensive coordinator. You were a play-calling head coach. Um, what's it like? What's the feeling like when you really have the other team's defense guessing? It is a great feeling because you feel like everything you're going to call is going to work. Uh, whatever formation, whatever personnel group is going to work. Some days it's the opposite. You're like, I can't even get a yard. What can we go to? This ain't going to work. But I've had games where we have had like 45, 50 points, and it feels great to uh, – just call, dial up whatever you want. You got your bootlegs available on first down. You got your play action available. You got you're running a ball effectively. You're running the perimeter runs effectively, and that's what Sean had going. They had the perimeter runs going extremely well. That quick game going well. He had a couple downfield shots that hit pretty good. So, unfortunately, or fortunately for Washington, they they put a stop to it and then made some plays on offense and, and uh, got back in the game. Do you know that? going into a game like you've got an idea during the week based on the game plan and knowing who you're facing and what they have do you have a a sense going into a game I'm going to be able to call a lot of stuff that's going to work today or is that something that just kind of evolves during the game yes I definitely have that feeling before some games um you know when when we were at Washington or out of Cincinnati and all our guys were playing and active and hitting on all cylinders Jordan Deshaun and uh, Pierre, or you know, later on, even with some of the other guys that we had, you know, you feel good about going in the game. You feel confident uh, that you're going to make a lot of plays. And then when those guys aren't available, and you're going against the likes of a uh, really good defense in Dallas or New York Giants or whoever, uh, you don't feel quite as confident as you know Josh Johnson or Mark Sanchez, your quarterback, because they just got here or what have you. But yeah, there's definitely times um, that I felt really, really confident going into the game with all the game plan. Yeah, I think that stretch in 2016, I think 2016 as a whole, um, you guys were you know top three to five in almost every offensive category. Um, but there was that stretch where you had Green Bay on a Sunday night, you lost to Dallas on Thanksgiving, and, I mean, you guys were putting up 500-plus yards a game, it seemed like, and you couldn't be stopped. Um, the problem, of course, was your defense couldn't stop anybody, uh, and that, that, that didn't help. Like, if you had the ball more, you probably would have averaged 40 points a game that season. Yeah, I mean, that we just, you know, that's why we put so much emphasis on the draft on defense alignment. You know, I, I couldn't take it. You know, it's, uh, they, uh, you know, we had some good players, some good guys, but we needed to upgrade. We were aging on the defensive line and, and 
linebackers that we need to and safeties we needed to regroup and get really hot in our draft and luckily we hit some good ones in the, in the front but it's a tough situation when you can't stop anybody it really is helpless when you're on the sideline you see a guy that's a game of six that's a game of seven there's a bootleg for a game of nine it's like oh my god can we just get the ball back please <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, it was a process, and I think we did a pretty good job turning the defense around a little bit. Yeah, um, you did. Uh, John Allen, Deron Payne, uh, eventually back into the first round uh, to get Montez Sweat in three straight drives, three straight drafts, and uh, it's paying off now big time. So, what did you think of Sam Howell? I, I've been impressed with him. Um, you know, he's played three games, and he has made about every throw that I've seen a quarterback need to make. So you know he's got that in his arsenal. Um, he's come back from behind. He's uh, played with a lead. Um, he's converted some third and longs. He's converted some tough red zone plays. He's been in critical situations. Um, so, yeah, for three-game stretch, he's had about every bit of taste of what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL and passed on all, all cylinders. So, so far, so good. I mean, you got to be really, really impressed with the way he's playing, the way he's handling the game and, and the type of throws that he's making. It's not like he's just – checking the ball down and throwing screen passes. He's throwing balls in the seams. He's throwing ball in the outside lanes. He's throwing the ball in traffic a little bit and, and making all the plays. You kind of just started to answer my next question, but what are the throws? Like, give me a list of the throws that a quarterback needs to be able to make at the pro level. Well, you have to be, initially you have to be accurate and you have to throw a catchable ball, right? That's very important and have great anticipation. You have to be able to rattle the ball in the seams. You have to be able to throw the ball in the outside lane, uh, whether it's go balls or in between a corner and a safety and cover two. Um, you got to be able to throw. You got to be able to manipulate defenses with your eyes and throw uh, deep in cuts, um, anticipating throws and curls. And uh, you got to move in the pocket. You got to keep your eyes down the field. So he's doing all that, really. I mean, that's what I've been most impressed with. The thing that I was worried about him in North Carolina when he came out was if the rush came, he would lose sight of vision downfield and, and take a lot of sacks and rely on his athletic ability to get away. But that doesn't look to be the case. It looks like he is looking to scramble, move in the pocket to throw the ball more so than run it, but he can run it. So you know, I, I don't, he checks all the boxes for me right now. It's just a matter of can he do it on a consistent 17-game basis or not. Can you be a quarterback that can't make all of the throws, but because with arm strength, okay, specifically talking about arm strength, but because you see it so well, you anticipate it so well, you throw with anticipation so well, you can succeed at a high level? Yeah, for sure. You don't have to throw the ball 65, 70 yards down the field. It helps to have that overpowering arm, but with anticipation, and accuracy, you can get away with the uh, arm. You guy can throw it like 50 yards, 55 yards, because you don't really have to throw it that far. Uh, play action shots, you know, you're playing domes, you can launch it, you know, as far as you can. But anticipation and accuracy is the most important thing. You know, I mean, Kurt Warner had a good enough arm, but his anticipation and accuracy was off the charts uh, when he came in there. And some of the better quarterbacks that have played, obviously, uh, the pocket passers, that's what they have. Some guys have an overpowering cannon arm, Brett Favre, and Dan Marino and those guys, uh, but the other guys, Joe Montana, those guys are uh, anticipation, accuracy, footwork, and, and getting the ball to the right people. I don't know if you saw this, but Montana um, about two weeks ago said the greatest of all time is Marino, that nobody threw it better with better anticipation, manipulated the pocket better, had a better release, had a quicker release than Dan Marino, and he referred to Dan Marino as the greatest of all time. Who's who's your greatest of I, all time? 
I got to do. Uh, I got to go to training camp. I, you know, coming out of college, I was invited to uh, training camp for three days with the Miami Dolphins, and I got to see him in person. I was like, "What am I doing here? This guy is ridiculous." <laughs> I mean, uh, it was like yeah. embarrassing. It was like standing next to a god. I miss. Mean, he had the quickest release and accurate. And yeah, he's probably right when it comes to throwing a ball. I think Aaron Rodgers is like that too. I think. Um, Aaron can do it with all kinds of different releases. I mean, his arm talent is, to me, he's the best one that I've seen, just as far as pure arm talent, um, throwing it with a flick of the wrist and launching the ball for he can throw the ball long. I mean, it's accurate. It's hard to explain. He's amazing to me. Who's but yeah, he's right. Dan Marino's awesome, too. Who's the most talented quarterback? Or the, 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 Well, yeah, who's the most talented quarterback you ever coached? Ever coached? Talented? Yeah, talent. Just pure oh, talent. Yeah. Uh, well, I only had a couple in Cincinnati, Dalton, and I'm here, Kirk and uh, Alex, probably, probably Kirk, just because of his accuracy. I mean, you can't coach that type of accuracy. And, um, you know, I think it took a little while for Kirk to really gain trust in what he was seeing and being able to deliver the throws. And once he felt comfortable with the concepts and, and reading the defenses and getting his feet right and um, letting it rip, uh, he became a really top-notch quarterback. Yeah, I, I I thought you were going to say, but now I'm I'm figuring it out. I thought you were going to say maybe Carson Palmer, but you didn't coach Car- Carson Palmer. I didn't coach Carson. No, he yeah. wasn't there when I was there. Right, I, he, Andy. he left right before and, and Dalton came in. By the way, Dalton may start uh, this week because it looks like Bryce Young is hurt. I actually thought Dalton had a pretty good year last year in New Orleans. Andy can play. You know, he. I mean, yeah, he's a smart kid. He knows where to go with the football. He's played a lot of ball. He can scramble good enough. Um, he doesn't have that. He's another one of those guys that doesn't have a crazy long arm, uh, but he can get away with it because he has good anticipation and knows where to go with the ball. Back to the Denver game, um, Eric Bieniemy's day. What did you make of his uh, game and and play calling in Denver? I like what he's doing. He's being aggressive coming out, um, and he's you know not putting Sam in too many awkward situations. There's going to be some in, in the course of the game, but um, a lot of people get down on probably for being a little more aggressive and not handle the ball off more, but I take it that sometimes when you try to just force the run, you force a young quarterback in the third and nine in a hostile environment, man, that's tough. But when you come out firing and try to get some quick games, some bubble screens and, and all that stuff that he's doing, um, I think he's doing a good job. How did you think um, Russell Wilson looked in his second game with Sean Payton? You know what, I, I just I never like to talk bad about a quarterback. I just don't think he's – very good right now. I, I just he missed some throws that I don't know how you can miss. He missed one in the red zone on third down and goal to the tight end. He threw it like in the dirt behind him, and he's wide open for a walk-in touchdown. He had Jerry Judy on third and eight, and uh, he's wide open. He throws it in the dirt behind. Him. But Jerry had to catch it, and then he got up and got tackled for you know a gain of seven instead of an easy first down. Right. He just misses too many easy throws for me. You know he's you know he still got the ability to scramble and throw the deep ball from time to time, but. Over the course of 60 minutes, um, the type of offense that Sean wants to run, I just don't know if he's the guy for him. Yeah, you know that that Jerry Judy play that you were talking about, I talked about that one because if he throws that where it's supposed to be thrown, that's that's a chunk play for them. And they're, it's 21-11 to 11 at that point, and Washington doesn't get the ball back and get that big field goal that you talked about before the end of the half. Yeah, I they also, could have possibly got the field goal. Exactly. I mean, he's wide open. He's right in front of them. I mean, it's not like it's – I see. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that one was behind. He went to the ground, and and they came up and made the tackle two yards short. He also had Judy wide open on the two-point conversion. 
if he had gotten through his progressions. I don't know if you saw that. He threw to Sutton, uh, but Judy was get, on on that crosser. There was a lot of uh, defensive backs kind of running into each other, and Judy was wide open. Yeah, there was. A, they were forced to a field goal play. I'm talking about. They were in a bunch, yeah. and you know they cleared it out perfect. A tight end ran a lot like he's running flat, and back across the middle. I mean, there's nobody around him, and he threw it in the dirt behind him. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I had a shoot. He's probably still getting used to the timing and um, some of these concepts. Maybe they're a little hard. And some of those, some of these concepts that Sean, some of these guys have option routes, like the Judy one. He had, I think, he had an option to sit it down, break it in, or and maybe he just got a little confused or something. I don't know. All right. Did you watch the game last night? Before we get to Buffalo, we'll talk about Buffalo here in a minute. Did you watch the game last night? I watched most of it. I had a member guest yesterday, so I got home late <laughs> and I watched. Uh, second half i mean member 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 guest uh it's just a lot of golf in your life right now um so first of all did you have you seen the play where trent williams you know could have he got penalized but he didn't get ejected the the league's actually backing the ref's call not to throw him out but he he threw a punch trent's been known to throw a punch once or while uh, once in a while he threw a punch and hit a sean robinson right in the face mask did you see that and do you think he should have been tossed Trent, that's just correct. Yeah, <laughs> Trent has a tendency to get a little angry, um, and usually it's because he's sticking up for one of his guys. Probably, probably, Ashon probably did something to one of his other guys. But uh, I, I don't know. A punch in the face mask. It's, they got a face mask on. It doesn't really hurt, but uh, it depends on the retaliation. But I think, yeah, I don't think there's any place for punching guys in the face. Um, probably should have been tossed. I don't know how they didn't toss him. It was a good punch. I didn't actually see the punch. Oh, was was Trent a guy that you really I mean, cuz we've seen the anger, you know, he he went after Richard Sherman. You weren't uh you weren't here then um yeah. during a playoff yeah, game afterwards. Uh but uh was he a guy that that it took a lot to get him super angry or did he have a short fuse? No, I think it took a lot. I think it's like uh something after another thing after another thing and just the buildup of a lot of bad things or things that bothered Trent would set him off. Uh, and usually it was team-related, like if we were losing and not doing well and somebody's talking trash and we're still losing and the guy, same guy's talking trash, it's gonna be, there's going to be a problem. Right. Uh, how good do the 49ers look to you this early in the season? Well, they look good because they can do everything. Um, they can run the ball. They can do the play action. They got good receivers. And Iuk didn't even play yesterday. Right. Um, but I, you know their defense is exceptional uh, against the run. The safety that they have and the linebackers that they have, they can all run. They can hit, and they have an elite pass rusher. Uh, so they don't really have a weakness that I can find um, on their team. And Purdy, you can say he's a weakness, but he's throwing the ball accurately and on time and doing exactly what he needs to do for a quarterback to win games. I, I, last night, and I, I know I've thought this uh, before watching the 49ers, I don't know if there are two better run-after-catch guys from a physical you know, t- a tackle-breaking standpoint like Debo Samuel and George Kittle. You cannot tackle those guys. It's, it, it takes half the team to get them to the ground. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and I, some of those runs that uh, Debo had last night, I don't know how he holds onto the ball. He's got six people draped around him. <laughs> They're all yanking at it. He's strong as heck. So strong. I made this point. Uh, and, you know, part of the reason their running game works so well is Debo, Ayuk, uh, 
and Jawan Jennings, the receivers are the best blocking receiving trio I've seen in a long, long time. Um, Debo will dig out safeties like nobody else. Uh, Brandon Jennings, Jawan Jennings will block like a tight end. He'll block defensive linemen and go up to the corners. Uh, cracks, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they can run toss cracks. Sometimes running games are stifled because receivers are not willing or able to go in there and dig out force. If you can't do that, it's very difficult to be successful running the ball. And, and that's, to me, I know they have a great back and have a great tackle, and Kittle's a good blocker, but their blocking receivers are critical in their success. You know, the way you just described that, it reminded me, that's the reason you loved Ryan Grant, right? He was the only guy I had that would do it. Uh, I mean, Deshaun would surely wouldn't do it. And Pierre didn't want to motion and, and, and go get the guy, so I had to bring in Ryan Grant. I can remember we were walking through one time. We lined up in a bunch and, uh, we're getting ready to play uh, a team with a very aggressive safety, and we had to short motion the, the Z and bunch and almost inside the tackle to dig out the safety, and we'd run our little duo play, and we'd bounce it outside for game. So we did it with Deshaun on a walkthrough, and he comes back to me after the play. He goes, hey, Coach, Grew, that's really not in our game plan, is it? <laughs> so I said, no, we'll put Ryan Grant in there for that one, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that, but that sucks when you have – a guy that that puts the fear into a defense like Deshaun does, but you really can't have him on the field if you want to run the football. That's exactly right. It's very difficult. Now, some of the RPOs you can get away with and the outside zones you can run away from them and things of that nature, but, you know, it, it becomes difficult um, to play him full-time. That's You know, he's a great player. It was great for us, but running the football became a challenge formationally and, uh, and schematically. Yeah, I mean, the the other thing is, is like Jordan Reed wasn't necessarily a great blocker. You just mentioned Pierre. And the truth is, on some of those teams, you didn't really have a good back either. Yeah, no, I mean, we had Alfred when I first got here. We went to Rob Kelly. We didn't, you know, we had a bunch of guys bouncing around. Yeah, I thought we had a great back in Geis. I've mentioned that before. Right. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But, uh, you know, Peterson in his later years, I guess, was we can call him greater. He was great at one time. Um, but he, he had some great games for us. But, yeah, it was just hard because, uh, you know, Pierre wanted to be the split end, the guy on the ball. He didn't like the motion and do all that stuff. And then Deshaun, so Deshaun had to be the guy. If he was the Z, he had to be the guy to come dig out all the force. So he couldn't play him, so he had to sub him out and bring in Ryan Grant or another physical guy. We had a couple other receivers we drafted or brought in just for that purpose. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Sunday. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, most of us would have said, yeah, this is a tough two-game stretch, Buffalo and Philly, um, and would have, you know, as long as the team that they're playing is healthy, would have chalked it up as a loss. I know it's the NFL, and trust me, I know it's the NFL. I bet the NFL, and we know anything can happen. Um, you loved the Giants last week covering the number. They were they were down by 21 at one yeah. point, um, and, uh, and it happens to all of us. Uh, but I think now, watching this team for two weeks, I think they have a chance. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, you have – a good front four, you can get pressure on Josh Allen with four guys. That's that's the key. And, uh, you know, make him stay in the pocket and uh, force him into some mistakes. You'll, you'll have a chance. You know, that way you can do different coverages with Diggs and you can roll to him and you can play, uh, you know, with different leverages against him and try to frustrate him a little bit. And then offensively, I think they're doing enough right now that, you know, I just, my only concern is Denver and Arizona. A lot of guys that you don't really hear of on defense, and then you're playing against the Buffalo defense where they have 
some bona fide stars and pass rushers. So it'll be a great test to see where Washington is offensively, especially with the offensive line and how they can protect and try to move uh, Buffalo's defense. That's my biggest concern about the game. Uh, with where did you have look? You guys traded for Alex Smith, so the 2018 draft. You know, you've told me this before. Quarterback was off the board at that point. Um, but uh, did you? I forget what you thought of Josh Allen coming out in that 2018 draft. It was the Baker Mayfield draft with Sam Darnold, with Allen, with uh, Josh Rosen. Am I forgetting somebody? Lamar Jackson. Was at the end of that draft, yeah. right, 2018? What did you think of Allen? Uh, we liked him a lot. You know, um, Chase Roulier was on our team. He was went to Wyoming with them, and we asked Chase um, after we kind of looked at him because he had some really big-time plays, and he was a big guy, but he had some head-scratchers um, where he would, like, miss guys by 10 yards, and guys are right in front of him. I mean, you'd be like, his accuracy. Is this guy accurate enough to play in the NFL? But Chase Roulier was like, uh, yeah, he might want to draft that guy. So we liked him a lot, but we, we obviously didn't get a chance to get him. Right, and quarterback was not an option after the trade for Alex Smith. No, <clears throat> yeah. not at that year. I think the next year would have come into play. I mean, it's very similar to why Kansas City took Mahomes. I mean, right. You love Alex, but you'd like to have a guy develop for a year underneath him. And, um, you know, yeah, quarterback's can- getting older, he got to have a replacement. Well, plus, trading for Alex Smith after Alex Smith, you know, essentially was going to be replaced by a guy they drafted in Mahomes to trade for him, give him the contract extension, and then draft a quarterback high would have been really a slap at Alex Smith. Yeah, and the stupidity of what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um so what do they have to do to win? I mean, you talked about getting pressure with four. What else? I think that's the key. And then obviously offensively, I got to see how they can uh, protect the quarterback against the Bills defense um, and see if we can get any movement running the ball. I saw the Raiders just get dismantled. They tried to run the ball with Josh Jacobs. They had nine carries for minus two yards. Ed Oliver was just wreaking havoc against the guards. And, uh, that's a matchup that I think that is a big time problem um, yeah. for Washington. So we had to get the ball in the perimeter somehow. Uh, I don't think running between the tackles is going to be much of an option. Um, and then you got to get the quarterback outside the pocket and figure out a way to uh, get the ball in the end zone. But, yeah, the, the biggest issue for me is the front on both sides of the ball. Hopefully Washington's front on defense can dominate Buffalo's offense, and then hopefully we can do just good enough uh, against their front on defense to get some points. Last week you, you basically said it's going to be a close game. It could go either way. What do you think happens Sunday? I just think right now I think uh, – Based on what I saw with Buffalo against the the Raiders and the way their defensive line played and their defense played, I just I think I got to go with Buffalo, um, and then Josh Allen making enough plays to get it done. Uh, just because I haven't seen Washington's offensive line get tested yet, this will be a great test for them. I, obviously, they got tested against Arizona and Denver, but this is different. These guys are different, I think, at Buffalo. All right, I know you got to run. Let me uh, hit you with a couple more. Dallas so far through two weeks, and Micah Parsons in particular. They lost Diggs yesterday for the year, torn ACL. Um, but are you a believer in them so far? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, similar reasons. Uh, they can do it all on defense, but I like San Francisco. You know, they can cover, they can rush, and they can stop the run. So um, they have a good scheme. Um, and then offensively, I really feel good about uh, where Dak's going with CeeDee Lamb and, and the rest of the guys on, on offense. But, you know, we'll see. That, that loss with Diggs, he's a turnover machine, and that's a big, big loss for him.
What about um, Deshaun Watson? I, I don't know what you thought of him when he was in Houston. Uh, I don't know if you watched that Monday night game, but he was pretty awful on Monday night. Do you have an opinion about you know him? Uh, pr- what was your opinion about him previously, and what do you think watching him now? You know, I thought he had some really good years early in his career, and I thought he was going to be you know coming out of college. I didn't think he was that accurate or uh, as good as he really was in his first couple of years in the NFL. Um, but now that I see him now, I, I don't know. He doesn't look even close to where he was uh, a few years ago. His accuracy is poor. His decision-making has been poor. Um, so, yeah, I think Cleveland's in big, big trouble if he doesn't get his act together and, and turn it around and make some plays. I've never seen a quarterback have two personal foul face mask penalties either. That's <laughs> insanity. Right. Um, do you have a pick this week in the NFL? Uh, yes, I do. I got to think of who it was, though. It was San Francisco. <laughs> oh, really? I wish you had told us. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, you know, I actually like uh, I like the Jaguar and the Texans game to get a lot of points. I watched the Texans, and I think people should – I know they're not very good right now, but they have a great running back in Damian Pierce. I really like the quarterback. I think he's going to be an upcoming uh, really good player. Stroud. They got Nico Collins, they got Dell, and they got Robert Woods at wide receiver, and they got Dalton Schultz at tight end. I think they're going to be able to put up some points. So I think the over in that game is – is my play today. 44 is the number. So you're going over uh, Houston. And the Jags, the Jags had a dismal game against Kansas City last week, and they're at home, and they're going to come out firing. So I think uh, the Jags will put up at least 35. I think 35, 20. I think it'll be an easy over. All right. Easy over 44 in uh, Houston, Jacksonville. Will you watch? So, so it'll probably be three to nothing. Play the under. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just tell you, after you gave out, the uh, the Giants last week is your lock of the week. I followed up in my next segment with my pick segment, and I gave out the Cardinals just because you were like the fifteenth person in three days that said the Giants yep. were a lock. Um, you know, wh- after I said that, I started reading about a lot of people loving the Giants. Like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> You're dead. No chance. Um, will you watch? tomorrow, which looks like one of the better college football Saturdays. I mean, it's going to be pouring raining here all day long, but um, are you into to Saturday football? Do you watch college football? Usually I'm playing golf on Saturdays, but I watch the afternoon games. Um, usually probably never the 12 o'clock games unless it's a special game, but I'll watch it 3.30 and then the night games for sure. Do you have an opinion of Shadur Sanders, Deion's son, the quarterback Maybe. in Colorado? I think he's an incredible player. I mean, he has great touch and anticipation. Got a great feel for the game in the pocket. I mean, I think this guy is. I mean, I, obviously there's a reason why Dion's doing what he's doing. Um, obviously he's special in what he's doing, but he's got a hell of a quarterback, and that helps. All right. Uh, hit him straight. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Jay Gruden will be with me every Friday during football season. All right, up next, Ryan O'Halloran covers the Bills for the Buffalo News, so we'll get that point of view, and I'll have my smell test to finish up the show. We'll get to all of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jumping on with us right now is an old friend. Ryan O'Halloran used to cover this team in this town uh, for the Washington Times and for Comcast Sportsnet there for a few years as well. He's bounced around since. He was in Colorado for a while, uh, and now uh, he is in Buffalo covering the Bills for the Buffalo News. You can follow Ryan, by the way, on Twitter, at Ryan O'Halloran. How have you been? It's been a while, although I know we talked two years ago when they played the Bills and got, you know, absolutely shellacked up in Buffalo. I think we talked right before that game. Um, prob- probably not. I think the last time we talked was the day after DeMar Hamlin thing. Oh, that's right. I did have you on after DeMar Hamlin. Exactly. Yeah. So this, yeah. this is my this is my year anniversary in Buffalo this coming week. So I guess the first time we've been able to talk Bill's football. I, I knew I knew I had you on the show recently, and I just figured it was the last time they played. But of course, it was the Demar Hamlin thing. By the way, is it possible that he's active on Sunday? Um, I, I it would only be because of other injuries, um, and they seem to be in pretty good shape at safety right now, and so I would expect him to still be a healthy scratch moving forward. So let's get to the team that you cover. Uh, you know, there was a lot of offseason discussion about, you know, this being a pressure year. They hadn't been to the Super Bowl. They've been close. You know, was the window, you know, beginning to close? What was the relationship between Josh Allen and Steph Diggs? What happened to Leslie Frazier? So what is the state of, of the team in Buffalo at 1-1 one and one here early in the season? Well, you mentioned all those developments during the offseason. It was just one thing after another, uh, which you sort of get used to when you cover this league. But right now the state of this team at 1-1 one one is they are disappointed. They gave away that jet game. They couldn't beat Zach Wilson after Aaron Rodgers lasted four plays. They felt like they righted things offensively against the Raiders. This is an urgent year and because their window is going to be open as long as Josh Allen is the quarterback and is healthy. But they've regressed the last three off, uh, playoff seasons from AFC title to second-round road loss to second-round home loss. That means you're going backwards. So there is urgency, and here's why. is They have to reset their cap after this year, win or lose, and they know that. So you might as well go to the Super Bowl before you got to take some of those labor pains. And so I think that's why, that's why Sean McDermott took over to play calling on defense. That's why they added some veteran free agents is to really make it a go with this core. So let's talk about Josh Allen in particular. I mean, that game uh, that opened the season, I mean, it was, you know, one of those surreal nights with uh, Aaron Rodgers going out after four plays. And all they had to do was not lose the game, but he lost the game with the turnovers. And as football fans, we've watched Josh Allen, but you've watched him very closely. There's incredible talent, but at the same time, you know, does he play too recklessly at times? That was a reckless game, and in the fact that it was the first game, 
on Monday Night Football and with the entire football world watching, it, it made it it made it uh, it made it even worse because it it, it it reminded us of some of the mistakes he made in their losses last year, where he went for the big play that wasn't there and threw in the coverage and fumbled and committed turnovers and is like, okay, you talked all offseason about this is going to be taken out of your game. You're going to be smarter. And then the first time out, this is how you play. So last week, I think he sort of reset, went 31 to 37. As he said earlier on Wednesday, uh, 274 yards. He goes, my stats weren't that great. Well, that's because you're taking the short profits instead of um, going downfield for those uh, riskier plays. So I think I think last week was big for Josh. There's no question he is one of the top, I think he's top three quarterback in this league with Burrow and Mahomes, and because he just makes so many plays. Tell me about the health of Buffalo coming into this game. I know that Micah Hyde uh, and Leonard Floyd, in particular, two key players on defense, are banged up. Um, what does it look like coming into this one? We know that Von Miller won't be active until you know, you know, at least after Week Four, and we'll miss the game. Yeah, so Vaughn's out on PUP. Um, Hyde uh, with the hamstring was limited on Thursday. Floyd with the ankle limited on Thursday. So they seem to be trending the right way. Right now there's two concerns. Dawson Knox, their tight end, uh, did not practice Wednesday or Thursday because of a bad back that sort of cropped up during the uh, training camp. So they're trying to manage him week to week. And then Spencer Brown, their right tackle, appeared on the injury report with a shoulder um, on Thursday. This team, this team, the Bills, like a lot of teams in this league, they don't have they don't have any offensive tackle depth. So, you know, I think he'll give it a go. But there are there are a couple big names on that injury report that will be released on Friday. Um, talk about the rookie tight end. There was a lot of discussion here about tight end in the first uh, in the first round. Um, Buffalo took Dalton Kincaid out of Utah, and it looks like he's off to a good start. Yeah, he is, and. You know, the Bills traded up two spots to take him. They, they felt Dallas was uh, going to uh, you know, draft him, so they leapfrogged the Cowboys, and they t- made him the first tight end selected. Uh, first play of 11-on-11 in training camp, Josh Allen and Dalton Kincaid down the seam. So they, they have force-fed him this scheme. He's handled it well, mentally and physically. He's, re- he's represented himself well as a blocker, but he's here to catch passes in the middle of the field. Got going a little bit um, against the Raiders. If Knox is limited or doesn't play, Kincaid then becomes their main tight end. And I would assume they just play 11 personnel the entire game. If Kincaid and Knox are both active, you, you can see some two tight end in that 12 personnel set. But Kincaid's off to a good start. Um, he's just a bad matchup for defenses. He'll beat a linebacker nine times out of ten. He'll run over a safety if there's man coverage. So uh, he's he's a nice little piece they've added. Um. So... James Cook, Dalvin's younger brother, is the back. No more Devin Singletary uh, in Buffalo. Uh, you know, we were talking the other day about Latavius Murray uh, on radio. It seems like he's been with like eight or nine teams. It's actually six, but wherever he goes, he tends to play well. But talk about, you know, the the running back, uh, James Cook, and the abilities there in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, they pivoted, they pivoted their running game because they had to. Last year when the season was over, Josh Allen was their best running back. He was their best short yardage guy, their best goal line guy. That had to change. He was taking too many hits in addition to being sacked and hit while throwing the football. So they they let Singletary walk in free agency to Houston. They signed Damien Harris from New England. And then after the draft, they signed Murray. So they have a they feel like they have a tailback trio that can run anything they want. And so Cook is going to be the starter. 
but uh, Harris and Murray both have eight carries through two games, and they're really hanging their hat on. Everybody in this league seems like if you have an injury, they're running back. They feel they got three good guys they can count on, and that's going to take a lot of the pressure off Josh Allen, who through two games has only one keeper carry, whereas sometimes he would have two in a drive. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I noticed that uh, from last week. Uh, at receiver, we're all familiar with Steph Diggs. Gabe Davis, I think, is underrated. Um, but uh, is that relationship between Allen and Diggs fine? Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, I mean, your you're two games in a season, I, I'll give Diggs credit, is that first day of training camp, he had a press conference. He answered every question there was. That, hey, you know, he wasn't, he was semi-vague. But what I think he was maybe disappointed in is is he says, I can't call a plays. I wouldn't even know how to do that. But maybe some suggestions, if he has some of those, he wants to be heard heard and does maybe move him around the formation a little bit. But, you know, he's, if he wasn't a leader, he wouldn't be voted captain because you can't BS a locker room. And so he is young guy. The young guys seem to revere him. Him and Allen appear to be on, on, on good standing on, on the same page. And let's face it, if you're Diggs, you're, you wore out your welcome in Minnesota, let's face it. They traded you. Okay, if things are not going well here, find me a situation that has this kind of quarterback with this kind of cap space with this chance at a Super Bowl. Probably not a lot of those teams out there. So I think from Diggs' angle is, hey, this is my best shot to win because I have a nuclear weapon at quarterback. All right, um, let's talk about how you see this game Sunday. From the Buffalo perspective, what are the keys to a win? Well, I think it's that front four for Washington, got they got cranked up against Denver. You know, a highly paid, evidently overrated offensive line. But I, I think James Cook and, and the two running backs we talked about earlier are going to be important because Josh Allen was under center a lot against Las Vegas. That opened up your boot game. That opened up your play-action game. That could open up your screen game. That's how you combat. That's how you combat an effective pass rush is maybe throw a couple screens, which Washington does very well. So, um, and then for the Bills on defense, is okay. Can you can you get to, to Sam Howell and fluster him by rushing four, or do you have to blitz Matt, Matt Milano, who has two interceptions so far in coverage? So um, I, I think it's going to be a one-score game. I picked the Bills twenty-three to twenty. Will the Bills come after Sam Howell? I mean that that seems to to make sense to me. Um, what do you think they'll do? I mean, can they get enough pressure with four, or will they really come after him? Yeah, they they, they have not pressed. They have not sent five and six guys very often in the first two games, which I disagreed with with Zach Wilson because I think he would be. Uh, flustered by that. Sam Howell looks a little bit different in terms of he can maybe extend the play a little better and not panic like Wilson does. But Greg Rousseau from the edge, if Leonard Floyd is healthy from the edge, I think those two guys can be effective against the, the Washington tackle. So I think they can lean on their four-man rush, but I would like to see them pressure a little bit more on third down. You know, one of the things that I, I noticed about the first two games, you take away two of the Brees Hall runs. I mean, you know, they counted. He had an 83-yard run and I think like a 30-yard run. But other than that, he could not run against this Buffalo defense. And last week, Josh Jacobs, I mean, one of the best backs in the league, nine carries for minus two yards. Now, yeah. Washington hasn't run the football much in the first half. Last week, uh, Ryan, it was 36 pass play calls, seven run calls. I, I'm thinking the same thing again this week because I think it's going to be hard to run against Buffalo. What do you think? 
I think so. And, and, and you're right about the jet game. Uh, you know, as the coaches point out, well, you take away those two runs and we only gave up such <laughs> right. and such a carry. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a fun game to play. But Josh Jacobs, I mean, I, I don't know why they kept on giving it to him. He had more, he was more effective as, as, as a receiver. Just get it to him in open space that way. But we can get into Josh McDaniels' play calling at another time. But, uh, but yeah, if I'm Washington coming in, I look at the, I look at this Bills front with Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones and Jordan Phillips and Puna Ford at, as a as a four man rotation and Tim Settle, the former Washington player, yeah. five man uh, defensive tackle rotation, saying, hey, maybe you get the edge in the run game, but maybe maybe a quick receiver screen or a screen to the running back is just as good as a run. All right, you've already given me your final score. Just give me, since I know from afar you follow this team, what's your view of Washington? I was impressed with Howell. Uh, I, I liked him at North Carolina because I tried to give, I, you know, I tried to lob this to Sean McDermott on Wednesday. He wasn't playing, shockingly. I think there's something to be said for guys who have a thousand attempts in college. I mean, granted, it's a different kind of offense. It's better people here, but but you don't panic. You know how to. Get it, you know how to get out of a bad play. You know how to handle adversity when you're down in a game. So I think I think that's what should be encouraging about how tough is what stood out to me. Maybe too much so. You got to learn how to get rid of it a little bit. And then I thought, I mean, Terry McLaurin is an elite player. So that that was my takeaway on offense and, and on defense. Uh, you know, that you know the defensive line causing all kinds of trouble. And you know, I, I think Emmanuel Forbes versus Stephon Diggs is going to be interesting because got to figure Diggs is going to have some ideas to go against a rookie. Uh, I hope you're well. Uh, have a good trip down and, uh, you know, hope you guys go back uh, with an L, but um, it should be a good game. I think we're going to see a good one on Sunday. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, Kevin. Take care. All right, let's finish up the show with the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell test. test. The smell test, as always, brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and on a deposit of $50 or more, you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly into your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount one time, you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, you've got to use my promo code, KevinDC, to claim your cash deposit bonus. But in terms of withdrawing your money, most places make you wager your initial deposit amount more than one time before you're eligible to withdraw your cash. Uh, not at my bookie. Uh, bet your deposit amount once and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Uh, even if you've got a place where you're betting right now, use my bookie for the free money, all right, the, initi- the initial deposit uh, bonus, and use it as a place to comparison shop on point spreads, on money lines, on totals, on prop bets. My bookie's got fair pricing, they've got fair point spreads. They've got fair totals, fair money lines. It's a place where you're not going to get ripped off. You wouldn't believe what some of these places charge on a loss. My bookie is normal stuff. Minus 110 on a loss, almost always. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. My bookie right now has Washington now at plus six and the total at 43. I've seen some totals at 44, 43 and a half. My bookie's down to 43 right now, and Buffalo is down to a six-point favorite. That's the lowest we've seen 
all week long. By the way, um, the Trayvon Diggs injury, uh, the torn ACL, they lose Diggs for the year. They've got some depth at corner. If you're wondering if it affected the Cowboys' odds to win the Super Bowl at all or to win the NFC Championship, it did not. Losing Trayvon Diggs doesn't move the number. Losing Micah Parsons would have moved the number, and obviously losing Dak Prescott. Quarterbacks are the are the needle mover, the point mover, although we saw, remember, back in the season opener at Arrowhead between Detroit and Kansas City how much Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey's absence actually impacted uh, the point spread. Uh, but anyway, uh, Washington getting six Sunday, and you already have my pick on the game. I like Washington to win the game outright. Will they be in the smell test? Uh, well, let's see. Um, last week I was 5-2-1, and 12-9-1 overall. Last week, by the way, thank you, Sean McVay, uh, for sending your field goal kicker out with four seconds to go down 10 to lose by seven when you were getting seven and a half. I know some of you probably had seven and just pushed. Also, thank you, Bryce Young, for that big-time drive at the end of the game on Monday night and the two-point conversion that got you to 20 to 17 and I got a push out of that. So 5 2 and 1 last week, 12 9 and 1 overall. So through the first two weeks, two winning weeks and then there was the 4 and 5 uh week in there with two painful losses. The pick six at the end of the Texas Tech-Oregon game in the Minnesota uh, was laying a big number against Eastern Michigan, had a first and goal at the one for the cover, and went backwards and kicked a field goal. That wasn't good. Um, by the way, last week I think I mentioned that there were a lot of games that I really liked in college, and I didn't give them all out. And look, many times if I liked a lot of games and didn't give them out, I get lucky because if I had given them out, they would have lost. Not last week. If I had given out every single game that I wrote down initially as a possibility for the smell test, it would have been an absolute massive day for all of you. Now, I did end up wagering on a lot of those games and won a lot of those games. It was a good weekend last weekend. Uh, That is for sure. Let's... Let me just put it this way. For those of you that have a settle number with your guy, uh, we reached that settle number, and we have settled. Um, All right, let's look at uh, college to start, and we'll start with tonight. UVA is at home getting 8.5 against NC State. UVA last week got out to a 14-0 lead against Maryland, Um, and... I was concerned in that game. Maryland had fallen behind against Charlotte the week before 14-0, but then the Terps destroyed UVA the rest of the way, and they won the game 42-14. to But at times, UVA actually moved the ball. Uh, they're getting 8.5 tonight at home against NC State. NC State had that blowout loss to Notre Dame, but it became a blowout after that long delay because of lightning in Raleigh. They were not very impressive against UConn. They played VMI last week. Virginia may have gotten it together a little bit against JMU a few weeks ago. And even against Maryland, maybe that score's a bit misleading. Not that Maryland shouldn't have won the game. Uh, But Virginia rolled up 263 passing yards in the game with their guy, Calandria, who was 23-39 of for 263. He just threw three picks. 
Give me Virginia plus the eight and a half tonight. The public is on NC State. Uh, SMU plays TCU tomorrow. A bit of a rivalry for the two uh, Metroplex schools. SMU, a super nice, highly uh, affluent, pretentious uh, university. Beautiful university in that absolute drop-dead gorgeous area of Dallas uh, Highland Park. Um, it's gorgeous in that area. One of the most beautiful neighborhoods in the country is Highland Park University Park outside Dallas. Uh, TCU's in Fort Worth. you got to drive about 35 to 40 minutes to get to TCU. Uh, TCU's a great school. Look, I sent my oldest son there. I mean, he chose to go there, and it was a great experience for him and, by the way, us. TCU was in the national championship game last year uh, before they got pummeled by Georgia. They opened up with that loss to Colorado. They've got two wins since. SMU is a sneaky good football team. Uh, Stanford Steve, remember, was on with us at the be- at the beginning of the year, and I said, give me a team that's completely off the radar, everybody's radar, that you think could have a massive year and be in the conversation at some point. And he said, SMU. And he said, they play Oklahoma and TCU. Those are the two games that they could lose, but they could be competitive in those games. They lost to Oklahoma, SMU did a few weeks ago, 28-11, to but they were competitive in the game. Uh, they play TCU tomorrow. Six and a half is the number. The public's on the Horn Frogs. By the half point, take SMU plus the seven. Uh, so Kansas is an interesting team. I think Kansas is actually a good team. Uh, they're playing BYU this week, uh, and they're laying eight and a half. And BYU last week, they beat Arkansas. Uh, and... Not everybody thought that they would beat Arkansas, but they came from behind and beat Arkansas on the road in Fayetteville, 38-31. to BYU undefeated on the season, um, heading into Kansas, who is also 3-0. and uh, I gave out Illinois against Kansas a few weeks ago on a Friday night, and that did not get it done. But they had a close game last week. They were laying 28 against Nevada and just won 31-24 to uh, in that game. They are very capable offensively uh, with their uh, quarterback back, Jalen Daniels. They're laying a big number, uh, eight and a half to BYU. The public's betting the dog there. I'll take the Jayhawks and lay the eight and a half. How about Georgia Tech at Wake Forest? So Wake Forest is undefeated, but they really haven't beaten anybody uh, without Sam Hartman this year. They beat Elon. They beat Vandy. They beat ODU. Georgia Tech opened with a close loss to Louisville, and then they got blown out last week at Ole Miss. Uh, That was one of the games I liked that I would have lost last week. They were getting 16.5-17. They lost by 25 at Ole Miss. They're only getting four against Wake on the road. Now, I looked to see if there was an injury involved at all, like a serious injury to a quarterback um, or a major player, because I can't figure out why Wake is only laying four. They actually opened at five and a half, and the the sharp money has moved it down to four. The public's on Wake. Give me Tech plus the four. LSU's laying 17 and a half to that Arkansas team that lost to BYU 38-31 last week. Excuse me, I've got the hiccups. And um, LSU has two wins, including last week 
at Mississippi State and Starkville, easily 41-14. to Now, LSU is still being looked at as the team that got blown out by Florida State Labor Day weekend, 45-24. to But if you watch that game, you know that LSU should have been up double digits at halftime. They had turnovers. They couldn't score in the red zone. They were down there multiple times early. Give Florida State credit. They did dominate the second half. I'm a believer in LSU this year. It would not surprise me if LSU ends up being in a massive SEC title game against Georgia for a playoff spot. They're laying 17 and a half against Arkansas. That's a big number. The public's on the dog in this game. I'll take LSU and lay the 17 and a half. So you probably heard Ohio State's playing Notre Dame on Saturday night in South Bend. All of the pundits have been pushing Notre Dame. They're all saying Notre Dame's got a chance to win this game. They're a three-point dog at home. Ohio State hasn't looked good, yada, yada, yada. And they haven't, and Notre Dame's looked pre- you know, decent for sure. They had that easy win at NC State after that lightning you know, delay. I'll take the Buckeyes. Okay, that, that's three and a half. That, they're, they're laying three and a half. The public's backing Notre Dame in a big way, especially with that line sitting there at three and a half. By the half point, take Ohio State, lay the three. Northwestern, you know, they, they fired Pat Fitzgerald. They had all those issues. They've actually played more competitively than people realize. They're getting 11 and a half at home against Minnesota. Uh, the public likes Minnesota. I'll take Northwestern plus the 11 and a half. And Washington is now becoming one of those picks that a lot of people like to win the Pac-12, to be a playoff team, to have a Heisman Trophy winner in Michael Penix Jr. They're getting they're laying 20 and a half at home against Cal. Uh, if that were 21 and a half, uh, I wouldn't like Cal. They're begging you to to lay the 20-and-a-half, thinking three touchdowns should be easy. They blew out Michigan State in East Lansing last week. I'll take Cal by the half point and take the 21. Let's go to Sunday. There are a couple of bad teams, perceived bad teams, that I'm going to give out on Sunday because the lines make no sense. How can Cleveland be a three-and-a-half point favorite at home over Tennessee after the way they looked on Monday night against Pittsburgh? And the way Tennessee looked against the Chargers and winning in overtime. I like Tennessee as a team, and they're well-coached. Uh, but, but that three-and-a-half is sitting there begging for Tennessee action, and they are getting it. I'll buy the half point and take the Browns minus the three. How about Denver getting six-and-a-half at Miami? This is the biggest public play on Sunday. The Dolphins are. Buy the half point, take the Broncos plus the seven. The Bears apparently suck. And the Chiefs are about to break out. And so everybody's on Kansas City laying the big number, laying the 12.5. I'll take the Bears plus the 12.5. And And then on Monday night, the Buccaneers don't suck. They're 2-0. They're playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia struggled against a good defensive team in the opener against New England. They ran roughshod over a bad defensive team in Minnesota last week. They're playing another good defensive team this week. They're laying five on the road. That number was six. They're sharp money on Tennessee, public uh, money on Philly. I'll take the Bucks plus the five on Monday night. So eight college games, 
four pro games, 12 in total, starting tonight. Virginia plus 8.5. I would play that quickly. I think that line's coming down. SMU buying the half point plus 7. Kansas laying 8.5 against BYU. Georgia Tech plus 4. LSU laying 17.5. You should probably buy that half point down to 17. Um, I don't do that with that number. I do it with 3, 7, 14, and 21 and then the touchdowns after that. Um, Ohio State uh, laying the three, buying the half point against Notre Dame. Northwestern plus 11.5, and and Cal buying the half point plus 21. And then the Browns, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Bucks. Four Bs. Uh, The Browns uh, minus three, buying the half point. Denver plus seven, buying the half point. Chicago plus 12.5, and and the Buccaneers plus five. As always for entertainment purposes only. And don't forget, if you're looking for a place to wager, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and you're going to get free money into your account if your deposit is $50 or more. All right. Thanks to Ryan O'Halloran. Thanks to Jay Gruden. Let's see if they can make it 3-0. and I'll be back on Monday. The Redskins are the world champions. Once again, the final score of Super Bowl 26 is Washington 37, Buffalo 24. Stay tuned for the Super Bowl today postgame show and the presentation of Vince Lombardi's trophy. You're watching CBS Sports coverage of Super Bowl 26. With the Washington victory over Buffalo, the NFC has won its eighth straight Super Bowl, and Joe Gibbs his third Super Bowl title with his third quarterback, Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, and now Mark Rippon. And let's take you downstairs to the Washington Redskins locker room, and here's Leslie Visser. Leslie. Greg, it truly is hail to the Redskins as they've delivered their third title in 10 years to the nation's capital. It's a jubilous scene in here, high spirits, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the folks who helped make this possible. First, General Manager Charlie Casserly, who deserves an A for his Plan B acquisitions. Fabled owner, Mr. Jack Ken Cook. A man undoubtedly headed for the Hall of Fame, Coach <laughs> Joe Gibbs. And the commissioner of the NFL, Paul Tagliabu, who will present the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Jack, we congratulate you on behalf of the league and you and your outstanding organization for a marvelous victory today and a marvelous season. Joe, this is your third Super Bowl victory for the Redskins in a decade under your leadership, and that's an achievement that's uh, getting close to uh, the top of the list. So uh, we congratulate the Redskins on an outstanding season and a great Super Bowl 26. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, It's a great honor to accept this because I have so much pride in our head coach, his coaching staff, the wonderful band of players that he's assembled, our head office, and most of all, the best bloody fans on the face of the earth, Redskin fans. 